Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, folks. Michael Zuber, one rental at a time, back with his Monday expert, Mr. Greg Dickerson. How are you doing, sir? Doing great, Michael. Good to see you. Nice to see you as well. So one of the things I wanted to ask you, because again, you called the great deleveraging or the pain before it started. So kudos to you. Uh, obviously, a lot of that has kind of been the, the, the balloons been pricked by the Fed in the acknowledgement that they will start raising rates. I am a student of economic history. And we have beaten inflation before, a la the 80s and Paul Volcker. What a lot of people don't understand is Paul Volcker beat inflation by taking the front end or the Fed rate above inflation. Back in the day, he took the, the last print, I think, on inflation was roughly 15%. He took it all the way to 20%, the Fed funds rate. I'm not calling for 20% today, but I'm just acknowledging that in order to beat it, he had to encourage savings and stop spending and lending and all of that. So my question to you, do you think Powell can raise the front end above inflation in today's environment with all the debt in this country? Yeah, they can. The question is, will they? And you know, what would be the result if they did? But yeah, they could absolutely do it. I'm just not so sure that you know they have the backbone um, to do that and to stand behind it and let the chips fall where they need to fall. Um, the pressures are, like you said, there's so much debt uh, that they have on their balance sheet um, because you know the government's borrowing money through mm -hmm. the issuance of bonds uh, that it would get too expensive to sustain the debt. But you know, if we're printing money, just print the debt payments and <laughs> you know you just print the money to service the debt. So. You know, the philosophy of we can't service the high interest debt just doesn't make any sense when you're just printing money. So, um, you know, the real issue, too, that we're facing is um, and, and we still don't know where inflation is going to fall. I mean, some of this is going to be transitory. Some of the sure. things that we're seeing. Some. But overall, you know, inflation is here for the longer term in a lot of areas, in a lot of ways. And as far as, you know, the liquidity crisis, this is a liquidity crisis. Mm -hmm. uh, it's global. It's not yeah. just the United States, it's global. So one country, you know, the, the ECB just raised rates the second mm -hmm. time, you know, they've got the same issues we do, you know, so do these, so do other countries around the world. You know, one country changing policy too fast, too aggressively can trigger, you know, uh, a collapse around the world. Mm -hmm. And that really is the conversation. So what happens then? Well, you know, that's when, you know, ECB, you know, the, the, the central banks and governments all sit down around a table and start taking haircuts. And, you know, that's when you start working out debt around the world where your sovereign nations that own each other's debt uh, sit down and just start having those conversations and saying, look, who's willing to take the first first cut? And that's what happens. Somebody asked that question. What happens if it gets to the point to where our debt is unsustainable globally? We're having an economic meltdown. What happens? Mm. And that's what happens. Just like a bank when real estate was collapsing, countries and banks, they sit down in a room and they work it out. And that's really mm. all you can do. Wow. So, so when I look at this, because uh, I knew I was bringing this topic to you today, if you take out the transitory aspects, I have, I personally assume inflation, removing all the noise, certainly over four, could be over 5%. And that's, you know, th that'll be by the summer once the base effect is, re is, is removed kind of in April or May, which is just a, it's happening. It's anyways. So if that's the case, I'm thinking, let's say it's 5%. Can the Fed get to six, six and a half on the front end? And I play that out. I'm like, okay, if the Fed's at five on the front end, that means, you know, mortgages are seven and a half, eight. That, that 
and then that's mortgages, right? And then car loans and all these other things, it gets really, really messy, really, really fast. And you know, that's the problem because that used to be a great rate. You know, where yeah, we are now is be, just, yeah. yeah. I mean, where we are now is just unfathomable five years ago, seven years ago from where rates were and where we came from when, you know, things were going well and we were having issues globally and we had to, because of the housing crisis and we had mm -hmm. to unwind everything. And the only way to do that was to artificially pump up markets around the world and economies around the world by keeping rates low, which encourages borrowing, which encourages spending and things like that. So now we're on the back end of it. So it's it's very tricky. And a lot of people are like, well, why, why is the markets freaking out over a potential possible half a point rate cut? And it's because what the Fed said, what Powell said, mm -hmm. we have a lot of room to raise rates given a strong economy. So what the markets realize is Powell actually thinks that the economy is strong. And they don't agree with that. The, yeah. the bond markets, investor markets, you know, investors do not agree that the economy is strong enough to sustain any series of rate heights like he's talking about. So we'll just have to see. Yes, they can do what they need to do, um, but they are going to be limited because if they start destroying wealth, that's a big problem. If yeah. rates go up, people's borrowing power is limited. Credit markets start to dry up. Um, people spend less money. They don't invest in infrastructure to grow their businesses. Uh, so all of that deflates and then you get stagflation, you have high, you know, uh, inflation, you have rates rising and you get stagflation. And that's just a recipe for, you know, not, not a very good outcome. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, you know, the, nothing is, I don't think you're going to see a depression, right? We're just too big of an economy. Now we're global. You got to have basic goods and services to live, which is going to create so much, you know, um, money velocity in the economy around the world. So yeah, I don't think you can see depression as we know it, 1929 mm -hmm. style, where there's just no jobs, there's just nothing. I mean, the economy can tick along and, and, and do extremely well right now just because of the way we all work and live and consume now. Yeah, I'm actually, again, sitting here January 31st, call it February 1st, thinking stagflation is the best we can hope for this year. I think the economy is far weaker. I think, you know, I don't know if you saw this, but the Q4 GDP numbers everybody was happy about, I think they were 6.9% of memory serves. Almost 5% of that, or almost 75% of that increase was inventory built. I've been doing this a long time. What happened in Q4 is people couldn't, buyers couldn't get stuff. So instead of just in time, they started just like triple, quadruple ordering. I'll take whatever you have. Give me, give me, give me. Guess what? That inventory is going to show up. It's going to sit on the shelf. And then we're going to have a sale because there's too much. It's the economy is not nearly as strong as some of that data shows, in my opinion. Is that yeah, the PMI index is important to keep an eye on and, and kind of cross-reference that, you know, with yeah. inventories, uh, transportation, things like that. But yeah, that's the conversation now is, you know, are these inventories built up now? And Peter Schiff just said something about that the other day, mm. you know, and, and something that we have to work through over a number of years. But there's still a lot of demand out there. There's still a lot of consumption out there. And as we saw in the pandemic, even with shutting down and, you know, 20% of the workforce being laid off, you know, we still ticked along pretty good. So mm. it's a different time. It's a different animal. So it'll be interesting to see what is this really all about. But there are the sectors that were really thriving that, you know, we're not going to see as much activity in, you know, home improvements, you know, things like that. People, everybody went to Lowe's, right? Mm -hmm. Because they couldn't do anything else. You know, everybody was working on the home office. So there was a lot of expenses there. So a lot of these, um, you know, a lot of the COVID play uh, growth is going to be 
you know, non-existent here moving forward, especially once we get through this and start opening back up and people start traveling abroad and things like that. So it's, it's really interesting times. I mean, it's nobody knows for sure, mm -hmm. but um, what we do know is in, inflation is real. It's here. Yeah. And a lot of the people at the Fed are kind of denying it. I mean, I think Kashkari came out and said, no, we need to keep the pedal to the metal and oh. you know, we don't need to stop now. And I mean, it's just really interesting how a group of individuals can sit around a table and deny you know, what is going on and not take action like right now. They didn't even stop the taper. I mean, yeah. uh, the bond purchasing, you know, they haven't even started with taper. They should have just said, we're, we're not done. purchasing any more bonds done at that meeting. They should have yeah. just called that and then said, we're raising rates and we're going to start reducing the balance sheet. That's the other question. Can they actually reduce that balance sheet? And how fast can they do it? That's the one that I think freaked the market. I think everybody anticipated them finishing the taper in March. I think nailed it. I think everybody anticipated rates going up in March. I think the little half point that I've been calling for is now probably going to happen. But I think what really freaked the market out is just that, is now they're going to become a, a it's not um, quantitative easing, it's quantitative tightening. And again, I went back and researched 2018, last time they tried to do it. And it's all theory, man. They don't know how to do it. And I think that's freaking the market out. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see because, you know, as they start to unload the bonds that they have on their books, I mean, that just drives, you know, rates up and creates competition because there's dollars coming out of risk assets, stock market, cryptos, Bitcoin, things like that, uh, going into more stable assets that they see protection in uh, with an unstable global economic climate out there and, you know, with conflict on the horizon, things like that. There's a lot of uncertainty uh, that investors are looking for a safe place to put capital right now and to get, you know, a basic yield to kind of hedge a little bit of that inflation burn right now. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess kind of answering the question that I opened with, can they raise rates above inflation? You're right. They can. The other point being, do they have the stones or the backbone to do it? I don't think so. I think, I think they raise rates, they get it over one and a half. Again, the front end, the economy proves to be weaker than they thought. And then they get, then they become afraid. And yeah, and to out. that point, if they did come out and put rates all of a sudden at 5%, that'd be it. I mean, it, you would see a global economic meltdown instantly in all yeah. markets, real estate, you know, stocks, cryptos, everything. And you're yeah. already starting to see it in real estate. I mean, mortgage refinancing demand is way down. Oh, yeah. Even just with this little bit. And what I tell you before, so just like I said back in November, it's it's really funny. You know, the Thanksgiving conversations where everybody's getting around the table trying to get all their family into crypto and all that. I yeah. was the opposite. I'm like, get out. The market's topped, sell and wait, you know, and then buy back in later when the dust settles. So, you know, I, I talked, you know, that was my Thanksgiving dinner conversations. And you and I have been having those conversations yeah. probably October. I think I started to really, something's not right. Yeah. And, um, you know, go there. But, uh, you know, it's uh, it's really interesting. So what I was getting back to was, you know, that 5% in terms of the damage that that would do to markets, you know, to real estate, things like that. I mean, it would it would be pretty catastrophic across the board. And you and I were talking before, this is the point I was getting to, was that, you know, 4% the number now in the real mm -hmm. estate market. If interest rates get to 4%, you will see the market just kind of go ice cold. I'm not saying it'll crash. I'm not mm -hmm. saying all that. Transaction. I'm just saying yeah. that's when prices reset inventory levels rise and the correction in the housing market begins. Yeah. You get out of the threes, housing market is done. Yeah, just so you know, the investor loans, I have a mortgage guy on every Wednesday. Mortgage loans are about four and three eighths now uh, for standard uh, investor loans. Homeowners, 
still about three, eight, three, seven, five, three, eight, somewhere in there. So getting pretty close to that 4%. For me, the number has always been five, but yeah, it, it's the, the payment's certainly going to change. Affordability is going to go down. It's, it's going to be an interesting time for sure. Yeah, it was five last go around, 0405 in 2008, mm. nine. That was your threshold. Now the mental okay. psychological level is 4%. You get rates over four. Yeah. Psychologically for people, that's just unthinkable, which is still <laughs> incredible. I mean, exactly. Yeah, there's there's still that's what is so mind boggling about what the Fed has done, what central banks around the world have done in terms of where we are from, you know, monetary policy that that a four or five percent rate would be so damaging. That's just incredible to think about. Yeah, it is. It is. It's phenomenal, especially as the guy's first loan was seven and an eight. Pretty, pretty crazy. Well, Greg, you do amazing stuff all the time on your YouTube, YouTube channel. How can people find you? GregDickerson.com. It's all there. Uh, YouTube podcast. Go check it out. Thanks, buddy.